Welcome to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later, where we research the response of our past and review their relevance for today. This is your host, Moshe Kurtz. Welcome to another episode of Shoot First and Ask Questions Later. I am joined by Rabbi Elchanan Pupko, and today we are going to be discussing uh, two seemingly disjointed topics. We're going to be talking about um, the major bas mitzvah controversy of the 20th century, and we're also going to talk about dishwashers a little bit as well. And I guess the common theme ostensibly is that they both appear in the same tshuva of Igros Moshe. But um, in particular, what interests us, and especially our esteemed guest who's with us today, is that there's a particular family connection, uh, which will give us a little bit of an understanding of the context that Rav Moshe Feinstein addresses both of these questions in. But before I give the mic over to uh, Ray Popko, we should just know a little bit about him. He's a uh, New England-based, ah, oh, Baruch Hashem, see, we're, we're neighbors, New England-based 11th generation rabbi, very impressive, teacher and author. He has written Sacred Days on the Jewish Holidays and Pupko on the Parsha, as well as hundreds of articles published in five languages. Wow. Okay. Other than English and Hebrew, which I presume are two of them, what are the other three languages? So I wrote an article, I actually wrote an article in Yiddish. Uh, that I speak Yiddish, um, so that's that. And then I, Popko uh, on the Parsha, I believe, was translated to French and to uh, Spanish. And I also published, uh, I didn't write it and I don't speak Arabic, uh, just a few words. Uh, I put also a Haggadah in Arabic out. So those are- Wow, that is, that's language. really cool stuff. And uh, okay, so wonderful. And uh, so why don't we jump in? Usually I like to ask the guest who comes on to just share with us why they chose this chuva out of old chuvos. Now, just for reference, we're going to, I think you're going to mention a few chuvos um, that your family interacted with Ramosha Feinstein. But uh, for our listeners in particular, we're looking at Orachaim Chalik Aleph Simon Kuf Dalid. But um, why don't you tell us about your personal connection, your family connection uh, with Ramosha Feinstein, these Chuvas Negros Moshe, and um, you know what topics that they uh, make an appearance in Negros Moshe in? Yes, I think this Chuva and in general other Chuvas that my grandfather uh, from Pittsburgh, Rabbi Baruch Pupko, uh, got from Rav Moshe have to do with a very important question. And uh, with a theme of Ramosha Feinstein's chuvas, which is why his chuvas are so important. And the theme is really American orthodoxy coming into being. Uh, yes, there were orthodox Jews in America uh, for hundreds of years. You have the Spanish and Portuguese Jews uh, in the late 1800s. You have the Lower East Side starting to get more and more uh, Jews by, by the millions, literally. But uh, Ramosha Feinstein, who, by the way, did li live on the Lower East Side, is is the, the most respected, the most widely respected halachic decider who was really making these decisions about what Judaism in America should look like, uh, especially in light of the fact that many of the immigrants to America were coming from Eastern Europe, and they wanted to know how to practice Judaism of old in the new country. And so whether it's the tshuva on Chal Yisrael, whether you need Chal Yisrael or not, uh, cars, elevators, uh, mechitzas, 
all these questions are questions, and, and this relates to the question of Bat Mitzvah, it's questions that often German Jews and what we call, I guess, Western, uh, Western Orthodoxy, uh, whether it's Spanish, Portuguese, or German Jews, have already addressed for more than 100 years. But the uh, people like me, the Ostjuden, as they were called, the Eastern Jews, uh, we, we, you know, just arrived from the shtetl. And so the question was, if you want to, uh, yes, there were the Eastern European Jews who became cowboys and moved to uh, Middle America, and, and, and they didn't really have much infrastructure. But then there were the American Orthodox Jews who, who, who came from Eastern Europe, and they wanted to keep Judaism the way it was in the old country under new circumstances. And that's where Moshe comes in to deal with questions uh, which in many ways he's dealing with them as if they just happened. In other ways, you can say, well, oh, you know, for example, this question of bat mitzvahs, uh, the Aruch Laner dealt with it, and it was dealt with in Germany more than 100 years prior. Uh, right, I think there's a chuva of the Sridi Eish also. Um, the Sridi Eish is more of a contemporary of Ramosha, but uh, the, um, the discussions about bat mitzvah go more than 100 years back, actually. Uh, so, uh, it, it, what he's doing is he's really addressing questions to an audience of Eastern European Jews who want to know how to keep Judaism in, in the way, uh, they, they have been keeping it and they want to hear from a, uh, someone who they respect, which is obviously, obviously Rav Moshe, whose, whose scholarship was, was unquestionable. Uh, another way where this, you know, where you came from in Europe matters is the discussion of an Eruv. Uh, so Rav Moshe Feinstein is asked about uh, whether you can have an Erev in Manhattan. And he says, of course you cannot, uh, because uh, it's a big city. Now you'll have suddenly other Jews who say, what do you mean? We had an Erev in Warsaw. Warsaw is a big city. Uh, but I can tell you as a Litvak that the distance between Warsaw and mm -hmm. uh, and, and Vilna is, is, is extraordinarily big, uh, not in miles as much as in, in, in the culture. So uh, that's what's coming to Ramosha, and he's, he's making these decisions for an, a newly blended community. And so my grandfather, who, who uh, was a rabbi in Pittsburgh, Rabbi Baruch Popko, he was a rabbi in Pittsburgh for 60 years. He founded the Hillel Day School there. He um, helped uh, supervise the Ashgacha on Heinz, so that oh. uh, Heinz ketchup and all those which were in Pittsburgh could be kosher. Uh, and, and that's also something he sent Ramosha uh, he was really uh, dealing also with these sort of uh, building blocks of American orthodoxy. How do you run a Jewish day school? How do you run a hashgacha on a commercial company as large as Heinz uh, when all of the rules of the old country cannot really, well, the rules can apply, but the circumstances, I promise you there was nothing uh, in my grandfather's uh, town where he was born, whether it was Valise or later he was in Radin, uh, there was nothing like Heinz. Uh, so you had to, to to figure these things out. And so then one of the questions that he asks from Moshe is about this bat mitzvah custom, which was going on in America, was going on in uh, Western Europe. But, uh, you know, in, in Eastern Europe, it was unheard of. And, and, and like we're going to see, even the practice, I remember hearing, I don't know if this is, you know, where this comes from, from my grandfather, who, by the way, had an immense sense of humor. Uh, so uh, the saying was, uh, in Europe, you were lucky if you got a piece of herring for your bar mitzvah. Uh, so <laughs> I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not misquoting. If I remember correctly, Rav Tendler was telling me um, that I guess about Rav Moshe, that back in, you know, the Altaheim, 
that when they they got a new species of potato or something, they made a shechianu on it. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you know, just to much. talk about how impoverished that they they were back then. Exactly, and 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 add to that the uh, very uh, Lithuanian character that we have at Litvaks, which I'm very proud of. Uh, which is in general, we abhor celebrations. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, any reason to be happy is not necessary. You know, that the, the, they have the joke about uh, why do, what's the highlight of Purim for Litvaks? Oh, I was just about to tell you that one. Please go so, for it. So the highlight is where the parts that they read in the tunes of Tisha B'av of Eicha, but they don't do too much because it, it, it's going to be too happy. Uh, yeah, and you don't want to give them and, too much simcha. Yeah, and you you could look up. I mean, and not to say that the you know that there were different forms of joy, but you look up uh, Lithuanian Jewish tunes, you won't find Lithuanian Jewry contributed to the the, the most remarkable intellectual uh, works that the, the, the whether it's the yeshiva system and and the chidushim that they had, but uh, celebrations have not been our strong side. So bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs were not happening uh, in any significant way. And uh, in Eastern Europe, and and in general, the Jewish approach, whether it's in Lithuania or in the times of the Talmud, has been a gradual introduction. Meaning, the Gemara says that everything you do, you do whenever you're ready for it. So you, a kid starts keeping Shabbos in some ways when they're two or three, and then they start uh, washing their hands, and then they uh, maybe put on tzitzis, or they uh, start uh, whatever it may be. They they do gradually, and mm. putting on tefillin was done in many places. Yemenite Jews and Sephardic Jews, I think, do it to this day. You put them on when you're 12. So what does it really mean to celebrate a bar mitzvah? Because, you know, it, people were introduced to mitzvahs based on whatever it was that they uh, that they were getting prepared for and, and, and ready for. So when you were nine years old, if you were ready to fast on Yom Kippur, 10, whatever it is, uh, you did that. And so the idea of having a sort of a red line where where it all starts uh, was not uh, was not a celebration uh, in 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 Eastern Europe, at least. So you're so you're saying I might be jumping the gun, but even before we get to the context of American Jewry and the battle with conservative and I guess also reform uh, ideology, you're saying is that this just wasn't part of the ethos. This wasn't part of the culture of Litvisha Jewry to make all these big ceremonies and celebrations, um, even if it was within a vacuum and it wasn't about being on the defense against other movements. Yeah, look, um, obviously, Rav Moshe's considerations were halachic and also in, in terms of the reform and conservative. But yeah, in, in general, Litvaks, I mean, there's a famous story that's that's said as a uh, greatness story. I know some people will think it's, it's it's you know, they won't be impressed. But Rav Elchanan Wasserman, one of the stories of the Gedolim about him is that he got a telegram when he was in the base Medrash that he had a uh, baby boy, I think. And uh, they said, are you going to go travel for the bris? He said, I'm not a Mohel. Uh, and he <laughs> just stayed in yeshiva. And that that was like a, uh, I, I mentioned something, I was speaking to the Israeli ambassador in, in Vilna, and I told her that uh, a, a big insult that uh, Lithuanian Jews once invoked was that uh, this rabbi must have written this book when he was drinking tea with sugar, because he, he was so materialistic and decadent that he put sugar in his tea that's why his book is a low-level book. So yeah, in general, it's not a... Which is why, just another example, Upsharans today uh, are considered standard, uh, where it was 
I think completely unheard of in among Lithuanian Jews. Uh, there's a story I heard about Rav Baruch Kovarsky, the Roshiva of Ponovich, uh, who who knew his grandchildren. He knew them. They were you know running around his house. And uh, his family, since they moved to Israel and since Opsherms became more popular, grew the kid's hair till he was three. And his uh, Povarsky's daughter brings the, the kid over to him, uh, showing him like after the Opsher and he looks up from his Gemara and he says, oh, he got a haircut and, and he just continued learning. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 no meaning whatsoever. And, and today you have people who do Opsherms for, for tens of thousands of dollars. So these celebrations are, are appreciated. Birthdays, and I think the Lubavitcher Rebbe was the first one to, to formalize them, but uh, uh, other Litvaks will tell you that the only person to celebrate their birthday in Tanakh is... Haroi. Haro. That's it. And uh, there's, it, it wasn't uncommon for Jews to not know uh, their birthdays because, you know, nobody, uh, th there was no celebration involved. So... That in mind, Ramosha comes to America and uh, he sees what was already a phenomenon in Germany 100 years earlier, which is that um, you have people doing a bar mitzvah as sort of a, uh, a similar to confirmation. Mm. Uh, so people are doing bar mitzvahs. And, and that's what he writes in this chuba. He says, if I could, I would cancel bar mitzvahs as well. So there's yeah, really, uh, if, if, if I may, I want to actually emphasize that line because I, I have my Igoris Moshe with me. And when I looked at this chuba a while ago, I see I apparently double underlined that because I, I think, um, you know, I'll ask you in a moment just to give an overview of which I think we're about to get to about Rav Moshe's opposition to bas mitzvahs. But I think that's something like what you just mentioned that many people when they're having discourse about this, they overlook that one line for Moshe where he says, I would also get rid of the, By the way, more power to him. If but, but, then he, but he mentions, he mentions <laughs> the issue is, you know, Mishum Chil Shabbos as well. Like there's a few reasons why it's, it's the American bar mitzvah, right? Correct. People are going to drive in for the bar mitzvah and cause more. Yeah. And of course, Rav Moshe was, you know, wrote that whole uh, tshuva against rabbis who invite people to come to Shul and full well knowing they'll drive. That's not just Lifnei Ever, but they're Amasis, they're inciting people to sin. So, yeah. you know, I think it's within that context of Ramosha fighting against the uh the whole driving to shul that the conservative movement, of course, uh, they legitimize for their people. Yeah, look, the, the issue of um the issue of how to distinguish yourself from conservative and reform Jews uh is um something that always has haunted orthodoxy since the birth of the reform and conservative movements. And there's no question that orthodoxy today has been shaped in many ways by the opposition to being um, to being reform and conservative. Uh, and, and that's because many of the early reform, and, uh, not conservative, but early reform did want to be similar to uh, to uh, the Christian churches. Mm -hmm. So you have Barba Mitzvah confirmation. And, uh, and and so how do you do look if I lived in the 1960s and you asked me about the about the raging war, which didn't start in the 60s, started even earlier on mechitzas, I would think about it. I'd be like, I don't know, mechitza. How important is that in halacha? Is that something a hill I'm going to die on? Uh, yeah. No. But in retrospect, uh, a, a thousand percent, Ramosha was right. That was a fight mm. that I have no halachic proof for this. But that defined uh, what communities would remain, how observant in many ways, 
and 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 in that sense, uh, I think he history has vindicated him. Are are other cases weddings inside shoals that the Chassam Sofer fought against vehemently? Is is another question. You know, people do have weddings inside shoals today. Uh, the topic of umbrellas on Shabbos. I don't want to mention any heretical uh, uh, <laughs> opinions here, but an umbrella forbidden on Shabbos is uh, definitely tangentially related to things that reform uh, reform Jews in 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 Hungary were doing. So the battle over identity definitely extended to many fields. Right, and I think I think um, that's a very you know salient point in these chuvos that Rav Moshe he he explicitly calls out reform and conservative. Um, he doesn't oh you know God. have any yeah. he doesn't have any pretense of not combating them. He puts that out on the table. But Though what just, I do wonder yeah. is um, is you know if if we were to apply some lumdasha jargon over here, yeah, um, we could almost say is this a simon or a siba? Is it that this whole argument is just um, a general symbolic argument, um, an opposition to something which is non-orthodox, or do you see you know just walk us through this chuva over here? Does Ramosha make any halachic arguments, or at least arguments that are external to the need to combat and distinguish us? from the uh, non-Orthodox movements. Yeah, so his main argument is in terms of the sanctity of a shul and that you cannot hold in a shul any ceremonies that are not direct davening, which, by the way, I think most Orthodox synagogues today are not true to, mm. meaning I don't know of a Orthodox synagogue that will not maybe one or two in in Brooklyn, but uh, I don't know of many Orthodox synagogues that will do nothing in the sanctuary other than pray uh, and 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 have Torah study. Meaning, uh, when you have a guest speaker, you have a simcha, you have something like that. The issue of kedushas beis uh and and making sure that you do in it nothing else, including and this is very severe, no eating in shul. Mm. How many shuls do you know that nobody will eat in shul? Right. So that's that's because usually um, we build a shul. Al now, Ramosha deals with this. I'll deny that could be like a base medrash. Now, just because something's a base medrash doesn't give you par carte blanche permission to eat and drink. You have to be, you know, someone who learns in the base medrash. But what's interesting is Ramosha mentions at the beginning of the tshuva, he says, even if this base medrash is, stip is stipulated that you could do other things in there, he seems to still be opposed to having a bas mitzvah ceremony. So I'm just trying to understand, like, what's going on at this bas mitzvah ceremony that would make it worse than, you know, I don't know, some sort of uh, Israel fundraiser going on. Yeah. Which, I mean, maybe way, it's just, that also. Uh, a very interesting fact is that uh, just this is general, a lot of, we're getting a lot of American Orthodox uh, sociology is that I believe Ramosha definitely Rav Ruderman spoke at UJA JNF appeals before the Satma Rebbe uh, pulled Orthodoxy to the right on those issues. Oh, wow. uh, and, and those were held in synagogues. So, uh, yeah, look, but the, the halachic, uh, uh, maybe I'm missing something. The halachic uh, uh, reason he invokes is the issue of Kedushas Beis mm -hmm. Uh And then he says, even at home, you definitely can't hold it as a Sudas Mitzvah. And uh, 20 years after this tshuva is written, Rav Ovadia Yosef says that you make a Shechiyano. Rav Yitzhak Nisim says you do celebrate it. Uh, <laughs> and, and those things, like I said, have to do with 
um, the the, the uh, distinction from reform. I will say something very important, and that is occasionally in my work, I'm sure that you came across this as well, you'll meet Jews who are not Orthodox at all with no exposure to Orthodoxy. And they'll say, well, I, I've i met people in their 60s, 70s. They'll say, well, I wasn't bat mitzvah. I wasn't bar mitzvah. And that is a, a dangerous understanding. The idea that somehow if you didn't have that ceremony, you are not actually Jewish. Uh, that is a dangerous idea. And that is something that, you know, needs to be countered. And I think that's what he was countering, the idea that uh, you become somehow Jewish by having a ceremony in synagogue, mm -hmm. uh, which is completely Christian. Yeah, whether you had a bar mitzvah, you didn't have a bar mitzvah, you, you're you're the same Jewish. Uh, and so the, sometimes you see also these social media posts. Oh, this guy is 98 years old. Or there was even a guy 113, and he just celebrated his bar mitzvah. Very special man, by the way. Uh, you can look at sorry, up a Holocaust survivor. He had his bar mitzvah at the age of 113. Uh, and uh, there's this some kind of understanding of uh, th there's no meaning whatsoever to having a bar mitzvah at, at, at 95, right? It's, it's, it's completely meaningless. The idea of bar mitzvah is just marking your 13th or 12th birthday whenever you've become a grown person. If you didn't have the ceremony, you still became Jewish and bar mitzvah and what have you now. You're an adult. <laughs> you know, I guess you have two types of mistakes. Some people think that they're not adults if they didn't have the bar mitzvah. Mm -hmm. Some people think they're not Jewish. Neither is true. Uh, the, the maybe, maybe it's like almost um, the svara behind Tosefa Shabbos, that you don't just wait for Shabbos to happen. You know, you anticipate the, you know, you mark it yourself. Look, um, there's I'm definitely, just trying to be look uh, the, the amazing thing about bar and bat mitzvahs is that if you go to the most Haredi circles, I have no question, by the way, that Rav Moshe's grandchildren and great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren themselves all have bar mitzvahs and probably also bas, bas mitzvahs. So, but when you say that, you know, the question is, so I, I have family, uh, we went to a few years back to a bas mitzvah in the family in Psaic, New Jersey. So that's yeah. like a typical, you know, I guess more moderate yeshivish community or standard yeshivish mm -hmm. community. So they don't do any ceremony in the base Hakneses, in the sanctuary of the shul. What they did is they have a nice little party. She actually got up there and gave it to Vartora. It was mostly family, a few of her friends. Mm -hmm. So Rav Moshe, like you said, he, his main opposition seems to be about um, doing it in the context of the shul and taking what is seemingly a more, I don't know if secular is the right word, but something that's not a religiously mandated uh, well, ritual and turning it into some sort of ceremony and presentation in the shul. Um, let's if, if, I may, if, I, if I could say one, one, just one more yeah. thing um, is yeah, that I, I think also we have to think about um, what's the goal behind these ceremonies. So I forget if it's Ravavadi's chuva. It might be Ravavadi's chuva or it's a Sriyash's chuva uh, when I glanced at it. One of the arguments was that the ceremonies actually lehepach. They're strengthening Torah observance because yeah, this girl Reinberg, gets to, gets to right. So she gets to, um, you know, mark this occasion in her life that she's going to be, um, you know, keeping mitzvahs on a higher level. But you know what's fascinating, and I'm I'm going to share with you this little story. I hope I say this in um in a politically correct way. So there, 
there's we've been talking about bas mitzvah ceremonies. There's mm-hmm. also bar bas mitzvah parties, um, which seem to come along with it. And I'll just tell you, uh, yeah. I'll just tell you a story that um, so you know, Arshul rents out there. We have a lot of space bar Hashem, and they rent out to families. It could be people who are not affiliated with the shul, and they want to have a bar bas mitzvah party. So on Sukkis uh, a year or two ago, there was a bas mitzvah taking place at the shul. Now, because I'm in an apartment building, we don't have our own sukkah. So I go over to the sukkah in the shul to eat, and I could hear the music blasting out of the building, and I can't even say the lyrics. I I won't utter the lyrics that I hear in that music coming from the bas mitzvah party that I heard as I was eating and making my lace shave in the sukkah. So, you know, you almost wonder if these parties and the culture around bar bas mitzvah is actually facilitating more observance of mitzvahs, or if it's, you know, detracting from how we understand what Judaism is meant to be okay. sorry if i'm going on the rant yeah, over I, here. I hear you <laughs> um the, uh, the just to, let's work backwards here to be very specific what rav moshe opposed is the idea that you come to a synagogue and that the presence of a member of clergy is what makes you jewish mm. that is true to this day there is zero uh, basis in judaism for a ceremony that says if you come to the synagogue and you do this and this, you are Jewish. Otherwise, you are not. No, that's not true. Uh, and, and and that's what he opposed. And that's a Christian influence that is 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 just not true for our faith. And that's it. And you can work backwards from there. That is what he was excluding. Now, do people do parties? Yes, God bless them. Uh, let them, in, you know, people do, like I told you, people do upsharings, which are absolutely uh, uh, unproportionate. There's this made up uh, uh, customs from here till tomorrow. Uh, you know, I always find it funny around Yomatsmot, you always have online or in person people who make fun of saying halal on uh, on, on Yomatsmot. And I look at the guy because usually it's people who observe uh, other un-Lithuanian customs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the guy's like, oh, they're saying halal on Yomatsmot. And I'm like, dude, you celebrate an option, you celebrate this, you celebrate all these made up things, you go to Uman and Meron and whatever that is much less grounded in halacha than uh, uh, having a halal on, on, on a day. So what, if, what if I'm consistent and do neither of them? Uh, then and you sit and learn Gemara, then you're a real litvak. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, people people look for reasons to celebrate. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think uh, you know if people do upshans and they enjoy it, and 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 they enjoy having. By the way, the same thing. People have a vort, a lechayim, a ofrof, a, a shabbos shavuos. All these things uh, did not exist. Not all of them, but nobody in 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 the old country did all of those celebrations, right? No one had an ofrof, a a a, a wedding, a, a sorry, a lechayim, a vort, an ofrof, a shabbos, shabbos brachos, a shabbos chasan, shabbos kala. People didn't have the resources or, or, or the the joy to do these things. So right. uh, yeah, I think it's also important, like what you're saying, is to understand. Uh, even if you want to throw extra parties, like just be clear and know what's religiously mandated and what you're doing for fun under the guise of religion. I don't know. I'm I'm not that against fun, uh, but uh, even though I don't, <laughs> like, look, I was born on Yom Kippur, which is a tough time for our mitzvah. So I got an aliyah on Yom Kippur. Then uh, Shabbos Beratius, I read. Then we had a during the week part. There were multiple. Okay, people do these things. It's not a terrible thing. Right. So, so as we're, you know, um, I want to wrap up the bas mitzvah discussion just a moment, though. I feel like you and I could go on for this uh, for a while because uh, we want to talk about dishwashers. Um, do, you, do you have any sense, I guess, final question on this. Do you have any sense 
why this particular soccer promotion was not successful. So, so just to, in, in terms, terms of, of its soccer, reception, the question say. was the question, a completely separate question that my grandfather asked him was, uh, can you use the same dishwasher for Milchik and Fleshik for dairy and meat? And Ramosha says, yes, as long as you change the racks, you can have the same dishwasher. Uh, now, he, Ramosha, even though he was one of the most brilliant, uh, uh, if not the most brilliant man of his generation, he never envisioned a world in which Jews will have the suburban types of houses that you see <laughs> in Lakewood and Teaneck and other places where people have two dishwashers, two ovens, two microwaves. I don't think anyone on the Lower East Side ever, in, in fact, to this day, I don't think anyone dreams about that. But uh, the question was, if you can have, a, 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 and, and nobody really does that today. Uh, nobody uses the same dishwasher for Milchik and Fleshik, even though Rav Moshe says there that you can. So I would say that even, even though Rav Moshe is, is by far the, the most American posek in terms of setting standards, in both of those cases, uh, Barbat Mitzvah and uh, uh, in terms of Milchik Fleshik dishwashers, it seems like you know, a hundred years, or sorry, uh, what, what are we at? Eighty years later, uh, those uh, those psakim did not uh, resonate as as much as other of his psakim, uh, his other psakim, and uh, as they say in the Gemara, "Puk chazi mai amadavar." Go see what the common custom is, uh, and the same is true for a thousand other things, from opsharans to going to kivrei uh, tzadikim uh, in large numbers, and and all kinds of other things where Litvaks did not get our way. Right. I feel like, um, obviously, I don't want to take us to a field. I feel like Kivri Tzadikim gets a bad rap, but, you know, oh, you look at Midrashim, yeah. uh, you know, Yeshua and Kalev going going to visit the Avos when they compare. So we can do a separate like, uh, like episode on I know this. is much more controversial. I will tell you that uh, Kivri Tzadikim, number one, uh, uh, the vast majority, I don't want to say something so big, but an extraordinary amount of these uh, of, of these Kvarim are not actually the Kvarim. There's zero evidence. The one caver that people that should be going to that they don't go to is uh, Rabbi Yudha Anasi and Beit Arim, which archaeologists assert is indeed his caver near Haifa. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, yeah, but uh, the, the Opsharans, Kvarim, all these things well, that people enjoy. Well, I think the, um, you know, at Kvarim, if I remember, maybe it's the Mishabura I saw somewhere else that there's really two goals. One is to um, ask the Tzaddik to intercede for you, but the other one is just to have that more of that avira, that atmosphere. Yeah, that, but then you could go question. to Gaishik also. So you know, ask but happens to be my grandfather knew the Chafetz Chaim, and, and my great uncle was a very close Talmud of his. Uh and uh, if you asked him what if he would ever believe that uh hundreds of thousands of Jews would leave Eretzisrol in America to go to Uman to uh, where I don't even want to you know what's the place uh Rav Shail is the new trend I don't think they they would, have, you know, the idea that you're, you're leaving your family, you're spending such resources. I don't think it would, they would even begin to to, to fathom such a thing. But right. Uh, right. Um, All good. So so with the, you know, we, we only have a few minutes left. But so I think what you just mentioned was that this psaac against bas mitzvah ceremonies and this psaac to accommodate a single dishwasher for meat and dairy on separate racks, one after the other, both of them didn't seem to um, enjoy as wide reception as some of his other um, rulings that he's given. Do we, do we, uh, is there any reason in particular, or it's just kind of, you know, 
uh, it's hard to really pinpoint why some caught on, why some didn't. And I think this is just like a more general question of Rev Moshe. Um, I think we can even ask, uh, I don't know if you're prepared to address this, which is Rav Moshe, of course, was a posting par excellence, but there were also other Gedoli Haposkim that were his contemporaries. And I always just wonder how how did it develop that Ramosha became the posting Hador um, when others who were on the same, you know, again, who am I to start comparing all these things? I'm offered Tachas Reglayim, but you know, how how did it come to be that Ramosha was the 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 grand posting? And if that is true, why did these rulings seem to not be as widely accepted as one would think? Uh, so, so first of all, the reason with our became, with our three minutes that we have left, <laughs> with the reason he became such a, a posek, two things. Number one, his his knowledge and brilliance are, were unparalleled. Another chuva that we didn't speak about is from my great grandfather Eliezer Popko. It's really just a question in learning, and Rav Moshe sits and writes three, four, or five pages as an answer to him on a random topic, not halacha lamaise. Uh, so I think just his ability to elaborate on every single topic in in, in anything, uh, that earns him just the brilliance and the availability. The mm. fact that he was the one to pick up his phone. And I, you know, part of this is actually terrifying, but uh, all of our rabbis pretty much were killed in the Holocaust. Not all, but a huge amount. And so he got out, in the when my great grandfather got out, he got out in the early 1930s, and a huge amount of people either died in the gulags or in the Holocaust. Uh, and so to have a a gaon of such a, a scope in America was was unheard of. And the fact that he also was practical, he he you cannot suspect him, especially based on this, you cannot suspect him of being. Uh, too progressive, being too <laughs> lenient. But on the other hand, he, he does understand what people were going through. He does uh, have the tshuva permitting using chalav stam and, and many other uh, things. So I think his his understanding of what Jews were going through, working in sweatshops and, and, and the difficult reality of America while being passionate about preserving what was, I think all those uh, things make him by far the most American posik. Wow. That very well said and well articulated. And I would just add one thing that uh, Rav Tendler, my Rebbe, his son-in-law, so uh, Rav Tendler Zerkona told me, I hope I'm not botching the details, that toward the end or at the, almost at the very end of Rav Moshe's life, um, he was crying out of gratefulness to God. And he said to Rav Tendler, I'm grateful that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me the strength that I, there was never a Shaila that I wasn't able to find the ability and time to respond to. And I think that speaks to your yeah. point about his availability is that there's, uh, even if there's, you know, others out there who are, have the same level of brilliance as him, other Gedolia postgame that he went toe to toe with, um, I'm not saying anything against them, but something remarkable about Rav Moshe is that he made himself available to answer all these different kinds of questions, that he was pragmatic, he understood the situation on the ground, and when he didn't understand the situation on the ground, he would seek uh, to hear from the experts, and of course, Rav Tendler would uh, advise him on the medical aspects 
So I think this gives me an appreciation for Rev Motion Feinstein. Uh, I think I hope it gives our listeners a greater appreciation uh, for why we refer to Igor Smosha so much and uh, why it's very hard for me to do a podcast episode that we don't talk about Igor Smosha either as the as the mm-hmm. primary chuva or at least as a reference because it's just been such a profound and fundamental part of what it means to be a Jew living in America and really in the world writ large. So do you have any, um, I don't want to cut you short, any final words that you want to share with our, with our listeners before we conclude? Uh, thank you for this. This is, uh, uh, I, I think, uh, I just cannot thank you enough for this and all the other good work that you do and the Torah teaching that you do. Uh, it's really always an inspiration to see. And I think the topic of Shailas Tshuvas, for some reason, which maybe I'm missing something, but is very lacking in our generation, I can tell you that as a rabbi, I don't see many of my colleagues writing tshuvas to or receiving tshuvas, definitely not as extensive as you would see from Rav Moshe, from Rav Yitzhak Elchanan Specter mm. and others. And I think uh, it's a, it's it's a, almost a lost art to many. And uh, just it's, it's such a beautiful thing that you focus on this uh, Shailas Tshuva, which is it has the benefit, number one, of understanding Torah, number two, understanding Torah scholars, and number three, understanding the realities of every generation, which when historians want to understand the generation, they go look at the Shailas Tshuva's books. Wow. I should hire you. If we ever need to make a commercial for uh, Shoot First, Ask Questions Later, I'm hiring you to write the script for that. Come on. <laughs> thank you for your really kind words. And uh, thank you for all those who are listening today. Shkaya for your wisdom. And I know you have so much more Torah, so much more history to share. So uh, everyone should go uh, make sure to check out Ray Pupko on social media. Uh, where's the best place very briefly for people to follow you if they want to learn your Torah? Um, I, I think, <laughs> I don't know that, uh, I'm always posting on social media about Shalos and Chuvis, but, uh, the, I have, uh, the Pupko on the Parsha. I have an article on every Parsha on every hall. I have the sacred days on the holidays and, uh, you can find the article from me on every single Parsha holiday. Uh, so you can look those up. All right, so maybe you'll you'll send it to me. I could put a link in the description. And uh, all right, make sure to check it out. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, God willing, looking forward to learning again very soon. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for everything. Take care. Thank you for listening to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Please make sure to subscribe to get the latest updates. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate us and leave a review. Do you have a response to the response that you want to share on the show? Please send your letter to the editor to mitchellmkurtz at gmail.com. And God willing, we would love to consider your perspective to be shared on a future episode. This is Moshe Kurtz, and I look forward to reviewing more responses with you next time on Shoot First, Ask Questions Later.